Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Breaking news, LeBron is a Laker. This Clippers team will win a championship this year. Paul George, corner three. Yes, sir! Bryant has to put it up with the buzzer. Banks it in! <laughs> he banks in the three! And the Lakers win the game! What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Battle for LA podcast, part of the Clutch Points and Blue Wire Networks. As usual, Tomer Zarli, your Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points here. Uh, also doing some Lakers stuff on the side, which will be coming up in the next round should the Clippers make it. Actually, if the Clippers don't make it, I'll be doing some Lakers stuff either way. So, um, yeah, I'm joined today by my good friend, um, Justin Russo. Thank you for joining me once again, buddy. Appreciate you taking no, the time. No problem. Did you forget my name? No, I'm just in a, in, a, in a thoughtful mood while I'm watching this uh, Titans Broncos tire fire. So, kind of just all over the place. It does not look. <laughs> it does not look enjoyable. No, no, not not at all with all these kicks, uh, miss kicks. But um, yeah, th- thanks again for joining me, Justin. Um, appreciate it. Uh, gonna talk. Uh, gonna talk some Clippers with Game Seven uh, Tuesday night. But we'll start off with the Los Angeles Lakers, who earlier, uh, what was it, Saturday, I believe, advanced. To the yes, Saturday, yeah. Western Conference <laughs> Finals. Yeah, so it seems like so I had long to think. Ago. Yeah, Saturday night they advanced to the Western Conference Finals after beating the Houston Rock after demolishing, um, embarrassing the Houston Rockets in Game Five. Um, that was a quick series. I anticipated it being a quick series. Uh, I think one of the major reasons it was a quick series is because a LeBron was LeBron, uh, which I think some people were concerned about. Um, he was, uh, what is he, 35 years old, year 17? I think we've mentioned it a lot, but um, to see him dominate the way he has has been uh, nothing short of spectacular, I will say, um, because I feel like people, some people needed a reminder that LeBron can still do what he's doing. He, uh, he's pretty good at basketball. 
Yeah, that that seems to be the the the, the thing going around here. He's just so good. Like he's just like he's had some weird turnovers where it didn't look like great decisions, but it doesn't matter because his fingerprint and I'm a long guy. It's not fingerprint. His fingers on the pulse so much offensively that you'll you'll take some of those turnovers for the upside of every other possession that isn't a turnover. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, he's just so good. He's just always in control. Um, he knows exactly what tempo the game needs to be played at. Yeah, I, I think he's he's mastered that the the art of controlling the game's speed uh, and playing at his own speed, which I think is important. I mean, in the first round against the Portland Trailblazers, twenty seven points, ten rebounds, ten assists, averaged a triple double in that series, uh, and he I mean didn't average a triple double against the Rockets, but look, twenty six points, ten rebounds, seven assists uh, on fifty one percent shooting uh, is pretty masterful, um, considering you know the 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 slew of uh, forwards the Rockets had to throw at him, you know, from Covington to PJ Tucker at times to um, Daniel House for the first two or three games or whatever it was before he was kicked <laughs> out. Um, uh, LeBron was just fantastic, and I thought that was, uh, I think a big a big part which I, we're going to touch on later, but um, maybe just touch on it now. Uh, Frank Vogel uh, making the tough decision after I think it was after game two uh, to 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 take Javale McGee out of the starting lineup. Uh, and place Marcus, I think Marcus, Marcus, sorry, Marcus, Marquise Morris, uh, who had a big game two or game three, I forgot which one it was, um, and then decided to, Vogel decided to start him, uh, which, you know, matching the Rockets small ball, uh, the pace and space game was, was, uh, Houston had a tough time after that. I mean, it was pretty much done. Marcus Morris, yeah, it was game two where he came off the bench and had 16 points and six of eight shooting, four or five from beyond the arc. Uh, in just 22 minutes. Um, he and Rondo won that game. Yeah, they, they, they really did. I think Houston made a comeback in that game. Uh, Rondo had, I think, 20 points in that game, something like that. Um, Marquise Morris, 16 points. Uh, it was just a, a huge game in terms of <sighs> – the Lakers couldn't, couldn't afford to go down 0-2, I don't think. I, I don't think I would have been worried, but I think there were some, some concerns heading into that game. And, and seeing – not only LeBron and AD take control, but get contributions from Rondo and from Morris were huge. Um, it's interesting too, because like the first three games of that series, the Lakers did not have a lead going to the fourth. Like it's, it's weird to think about, but they just didn't. And they would outplay Houston down the stretch of game two and game three. And in the second half of game three, they make the adjustment of, all right, look, we're just going to start Markeith Morris and that's it. And sure enough, like, like, in the, like you look at it like this is a coach who knew the series was not a coin flip, but things weren't going as easy as they wanted. And he made the adjustment a tough one. You're telling your starting center, and no matter what people think of JaVale McGee, no matter the fact that JaVale McGee only averaged 16 and a half minutes per game in the regular season, he still started 68 games. That was your starting center. And was impactful in those 68 games. He was great for them. Absolutely. He was good. You're telling your starting center, I'm sorry, not only are you not going to start, we're just not playing you. And he accepted it. The team moved on, and they played great. 
Markeith Morris was fantastic. Rajon Rondo was great. Alex Caruso was good. Danny Green was good. KCP was good. Like all their role players, Taylor Horton Tucker had surprising minutes as a rookie and showed some good things in the series. Kyle Kuzma, maybe he didn't score as much as he would have liked to, but he stayed engaged defensively. He was in the action cutting, you know, passing, all these things, crashing the glass. Like, this is a team that bought in that no matter what role each guy had, all that mattered at the end of the day was that they got the win. And that's exactly what happened. And I had a tweet uh, after game one of this series, which Houston did win by 15 points. I said, everyone's going to say, they also lost game one to Portland. It was no big deal, but that's, that's different. And people did pull that tweet up and say, well, no, nothing changed. You, you know, they, nothing was different. They won the next four, except it did change. Like they literally had to change a key component of their lineup and they changed their structure to end up getting more threes than they would have gotten regardless. And the big thing, and Mike D'Antoni said it after game five was, you know, they just out small balled us. And my, I guess my retort to that would be, no, they didn't out small ball you. They just had a six, nine small forward. Who's basically a power forward and a seven foot center who played power forward all year. They didn't out small ball you. They just beat you with their actual players in the right positions. I, I thought it was, I thought it was um, just, just creative on the Lakers part because I think we always assumed they were just going to go with a big uh, because AD didn't like playing the five. He said he didn't want to play the five during the regular season. Uh, but playoff basketball is obviously different. Um, and if your team needs you to play the five, you'll play the five. I think that's exactly what we saw. Um, AD was just wreaking havoc throughout the entire series. Um, and, and look, it, I think it was the uh, – by game, it was basically Marquise Morris had his uh, – the third star for them was Marquise Morris in game two with 16 points. Uh, Rajon Rondo in game three with 21 points and nine assists off the bench. Hit three threes in that game, eight of 11 from the field. Uh, in game four, it was Alex Caruso, uh, who had 16 points off the bench on five of nine shooting, two threes. Uh, had some, you know, some defensive plays as well. So, I know, you know, Kyle Kuzma had 17 points in game five. So, they literally got different efforts from, from a third star in every single game which I thought was impressive. Um, you know, Rondo shooting 44% from three in the playoffs. That's, I mean, I don't know if that's sustainable, but that's a hell of a boost for them right now. Markeith Morris was nine of 18 from three. Danny Green was 11 of 26. Rajon Rondo, eight of 18. They're hitting their threes. LeBron was only 10 of 34 from three, which is 29%, but it doesn't matter when KCP is shooting 40% and Markeith Morris is shooting 50% and Green and Rondo are at 40 at least at 42% or better. And it doesn't matter if, you know, Alex Caruso is still shooting 35% on threes, which is good for him. Like their role players stepped up and more times than not in a series, the team whose role players step up determines who moves on because James Harden was good in the series. By any metric you look at, James Harden was good. 29 points, seven assists, five rebounds, shot 50% from the field, 38% from three. You know, he, he was good. If not great, no one else was. Yeah, Russell Westbrook no wasn't. one else was. Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon outside of what, game one? Really wasn't. I think Eric Gordon had a decent game two, if I'm not mistaken. Game uh, three, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, where they made that comeback to get the game. I think they retook the lead in that game. And then uh, the Lakers just came, stormed back and, and destroyed them uh, in the they fourth just, quarter. 
the role guys for Houston couldn't do enough to keep them alive, and that happens. But this is also what can happen when you don't play with a true center and you're playing against a seven foot guy and, and another six nine, six ten guy, and you know, Kuzma's six eight, you know, like these guys can get to the rim. And if you're not stopping them before they like the other thing in this series, I think kind of went overlooked by a lot of people is like no one stopped LeBron driving to the rim. Like all these mix and match defenders could not stop him driving to the rim. And I understand it's like damn near impossible to stop LeBron James when he gets a head start, but they weren't doing themselves any favors with how they were trying to defend him. So Houston got what was coming to them a hundred percent. They played the style they wanted to play. They played James Harden next to a guy who couldn't space the floor against a team that was going to punish them inside relentlessly. They got exactly what was coming to them. Yeah, I don't think it was surprised. I think I will say that I thought um, Westbrook and Harden – I mean, Harden did his job. But I thought Harden, Westbrook would do a lot more attacking um, and, and more of his damage inside. And they, they disrespectfully, but rightfully, left him open on the perimeter. And he just – you know, kept jacking away shots and kept breaking shots. 27 um, threes he took. 27. That's, that's absurd. I'm st- that's absurd. Westbrook should not be taking t- – there's a reason they're leaving you open. I get that you're confident, but you can't, you can't be doing that. You're hurting your own team at that point. I mean, I think you can say that on multiple, game, multiple games, I think it was um, games two, three, and four, the, the Rockets were in a heading into the fourth quarter, and they subbed in Westbrook for the final two and a half minutes or whatever it is, and it was just turnover – after bad oh, the non-hardened after minutes. turnover, and it was just dreadful to watch because you knew, and you could see the Lakers were going to take complete advantage of this. You know, you know what the irony was for them, too, with doing that? They did the same thing at the, end, at the end of the third quarter of game one, and it's what stretched out their lead, too, is like the Westbrook minutes without Harden. And I then... He hit a couple shots, though. He it, hit it a was, three. Yeah, he hit a three that got his and, confidence going. And that's the problem. When Russell Westbrook hits an early three, he thinks he, can, he thinks he can make them, and he can't. He's one of the worst three-point shooters in the history of basketball. It's not even, that's not even like hyperbole. Like, it's a fact. And this guy was just going out there and chucking up jumpers, which I get. Like, he's a decent-ish, I guess, mid-range jumper. Mid-range jumper. Mid-range jump shooter. Like, I get it. Um, that's exactly what the Lakers want. That's 100% what the Lakers want. Every Russell Westbrook jumper is, is music to the Lakers' ears defensively. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop doing it. And even if you wanted to sit here and look at it like, well, what could Westbrook have done differently? So many times he would drive in and not know what he's doing, or he would be way too fast and out of control and turn it over. He was a 40% or, excuse me, 41% jump shooter in the mid-range this season. 41%. That's not good. It's, it's not a guy that I want just taking him. Every, every chance he has coming down the floor, especially not isolated against Anthony Davis. So I don't know. Like the, it's, it's so weird. Cause you could look at, you could look at the numbers of the series in twofold. If you really wanted to, and you didn't watch the games, you could look at games three and four where Westbrook ended up averaging 27 and a half points on 52% shooting from the field, 41.7% from three. And you could sit there and try to say he was good in those games. And if you watch the games, you would absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt, Russell Westbrook was not good in those games. Uh-huh. And that's, that's what really it comes down to is they do not have a second quote unquote star player to rely on 
because it ain't Russell Westbrook. You can rely I mean, on James Harden for for large stretches, but not Westbrook. It was Chris Paul. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is looking like, um, I guess franchise altering in the negative sense. Which in terms right, of trades? Let me ask you this: Which trade is worse, the Celtics Nets trade from back in like two thousand eight or whatever it was, or eleven, or this trade? I still would probably say Celtics Nets only because of the pick swaps and the actual first that turned out to be like high first rounders. I don't know if OKC is going to get high first out of Houston. Now they very well might. They I mean, if you decide well to might. blow it up, you, you might end up with a, with a high pick. I mean, you're not wrong. They very well could. I don't know um, if they will, but yeah. That's a topic for another day. Net rating for five-man lineup. LeBron, Danny Green, uh, Markeith Morris, Anthony Davis, and Caldwell Pope, their starting lineup. Plus a net rating of 54.9. How many minutes? Like 60? 30 minutes. Oh, 30? 30 minutes, that's, four that's games. That's so crazy. 128 offensive rating, 73.7 defensive rating. That's the other thing in the series, too, is by putting Westbrook next to Harden um, and, and Westbrook reverting back to him being a jump shooter, not only was there no spacing – but they let themselves get dub- like let themselves get uh, hardened doubled over and over and over mm-hmm. again because they knew the Lakers knew he was going to have to pass to Westbrook and Westbrook would take a worse shot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, even the lineup with JaVale McGee, though, the starting lineup with LeBron, uh, JaVale, Danny Green, AD, and Caldwell Pope, um, net rating of 21.5. So they were still getting it done. 127 offensive rating, 105.5 defensive rating. The defense wasn't really there, but – the offense was just through the roof. So yeah, I actually eighty nine. That was in, in uh, eighty nine minutes in the series. It's interesting because Vogel made a change. I didn't think they needed to make, which I didn't think they needed to take uh, McGee out of the starting lineup. The one change that he made that I was hundred percent in favor of, even from game one, they could not play Dwight Howard in the series. In game right. one, it was very evident they could not play him. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they could play Markeith Morris either. However, at the end of the day, they did, and he was beautiful for them. So. That one worked out, but they realized they can't play Dwight in that series because Dwight would get too spread out without providing any of, um, like, like he's not the vertical threat that he was in his past years and definitely not the vertical threat that JaVale McGee is now. So it takes that away. Yeah. And Dwight fouls way too much. So you can't have him be your rim protector if he's going to be fouling James Harden every time he comes to the paint. Now, Caveat aside, James Harden gets fouled regardless of who's ever at the rim because James Harden. But still, that was a great change by Vogel, and it shows what can happen when a coach even sees things ahead of time, even in game one and even into game two where he's like, you know what, that needs to be tinkered with, and he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do need to issue a correction, though. Um, I, I did make a mistake. on the, the starting lineup for the Lakers with LeBron, McGee, Green, AD, and Caldwell Pope at a minus 3.8 net rating. I, I read the wrong lineup. Um, either way that's still playable yeah yeah 109 offensive rating 113 defensive rating is the rockets uh but again that lebron green morris davis caldwell pope lineup plus 54.9 i mean one guy yeah so you're just putting one different guy in there yeah so um yeah not great if you're the rockets but uh look the lakers look the lakers look ready for whoever comes out of this out of the um the clipper the clippers nugget series um the lakers when you factor in rest and how they've looked through two rounds and who they have, they have to be the favorites for the title. I, um, 
I think I agree with that. Um, if only because they've looked so good. Um, I, I know they've, there were a lot of doubts with them in the bubble. They weren't playing well in the, in the seeding games. Um, they, I, I think a case can be made that they haven't played a team as difficult to guard um, as maybe maybe like the Clippers have had to play with with a Luka. Uh, but then again, James Harden is a fantastic player. Damian yeah, I, fantastic player. I, I would have pushed back with that. Like you're having to play against a system where everyone's stretched beyond the three point line and is driving kick, right. and that's that's a pain right. in the ass to play against. Um, but also, by the way, you know, you know what else I noticed that the Lakers adjusted to in that series as it went on? What was that? They knew Houston wasn't going to take a mid-range shot. So anytime they would close out on them, whenever Houston would try to like attack the closeout off of a dribble drive, the Lakers defenders weren't jumping in the air. So like they knew they could give them space and retreat to the rim without them actually taking a pull-up mid-range mm-hmm. jumper. Mm-hmm. They and just I knew. Think, and on a number of occasions, I, I remember Austin doing this once too, where he, he shot fake, dribbled in, and had a wide open 15-footer by the baseline. Mm-hmm. And just hesitated, dribbled back out to, to the top of the key, and then reset the offense. And I'm like, dude, that's a shot that in any other offense you're taking. You, you got to take and make that shot. Not even make, just take that shot, keep the defense honest. But their the lack part of is, mid-range shooting is just – just attempts is, um, is startling. The funny part is with Austin and specifically, he didn't even take those with the Clippers. Like that's literally not his, he does not take mid range jumpers. Like even before he got to the Rockets, it's just, it's just weird. Like, well, he would, he would take those 10 to 12, maybe like eight to 10 foot floaters. He would yes. sort of put those, those push shots in there. He would throw those up. He'd throw those, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't take mid range jumpers. But even that I haven't seen him take with the Rockets at all. I mean, that's just gone. He'd see the layup or threes. And that's just how their system is, which, I mean, if you really look at it from a mathematical perspective, it's the perfect system for math in terms of like, we're only taking the most efficient shots. But when you get into the postseason and it gets bogged down, you need some guys who can hit some tough mid-range jumpers over people. You know, Anthony Davis is doing it. LeBron James is doing it. Kawhi Leonard's doing it. Jimmy Butler's doing it. Jason Mm -hmm. Tatum. I can rattle, I can keep rattling off names. Nikola Jokic is doing it. Like, you need guys who can get you buckets at the most inopportune moments with the most inopportune spacing. And they don't have it because James Harden ain't taking mid range jumpers anymore. Yeah. I love that. That was, that was one of his best areas. I thought Yep. in his first couple of years with the bulls, that jab the step mid range. Sorry. I was reading about the bulls on Twitter uh, with, with the rockets. Don't try to multitask. I sorry. Just you heard about that guy who just trying to fight Laker fans here in LA. Yeah. That bulls got next guy. That's what yeah, I was reading. He's probably standing on Figueroa shouting to nobody. <laughs> I don't think he even came here. He probably didn't. I don't think he even came here. Can uh, we talk anyways. about that for a second? How ridiculous is that? How ridiculous is it not only to come to another city to try to fight people I over basketball takes? I don't think he did that. I really okay, no, I, I agree. I don't think he did. However, if he did, you did it during a pandemic, he's which tweet- makes you the idiot. Yeah, he's tweeting like he did. He, 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 oh, actually, wait, I'm sorry. He posted on, you know what? He tweeted on my way to the airport. He posted a photo of himself on the flight. He posted a photo of himself at LAX. Uh, but actually, at sunset, actually, I don't know. Are we, I don't know. Are we detectives right now? Uh, you, you know, my investigative side is coming out, and I think, uh, I think this man may have pulled up the Staples Center today. 
Wow. Well, in any case, uh, yeah, still wild and, and kind of lame for showing up over, over basketball takes on Twitter uh, because you're, uh, you know, <laughs> I traveled all the way to defend Harden's, uh, Harden's dignity. <laughs> it's just like, it's not that serious. It's ridiculous, man. Um, yeah, it's wild, but that's Twitter for you. Um, yeah. Uh, in any case, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll, we'll talk again once the, once the, semifinals are decided for the West and we know who the Lakers are facing, but um, I, I, I think if Denver does advance, uh, the Lakers will not be, um, it won't be as challenging for the Lakers. I don't think uh, to, to get to the finals. Um, then again, Denver's been disrespected all postseason, So maybe they'll prove me wrong, but uh, you know, even I would be Denver, interested in seeing Jokic Davis. Oof. That is quite a matchup right there. That's a great matchup. Yeah. Um, uh, that that the Clippers Lakers though would just be would just be fun. I really want that. Um, Clipper, if only I, if only I, for I, the storylines and the the the, the TV and then the highlights and, and all that that we get and the the, the tripping the back and forths. I've said this even during the hiatus, um, even when the seeding games first started, even when the playoffs first started, even when the Clippers were up three one. I'm gonna be so disappointed if we don't get Clippers Lakers this this season because. Yeah. Everything that has happened has been like the prelude to that meeting. The four regular season meetings were close as hell and tough as nails for each team. And it's like, there's so many storylines at play. And if we don't get it, it's just a massive disappointment. And we'd only have the Clippers to blame at this point. Yeah. I'm at the point where I, I am. I'm just more disappointed. We won't get that matchup. I don't yeah. even – I really don't even – I mean, look, I, I think I, I personally care who wins, but I think you've got to get to that matchup first. I've, it's and weird, so, too, because I've, I've confused people before, like a couple weeks ago when I, was, when I told people, I was like, I don't care who wins. I just want it. And they're like, but you write about the Clippers and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I don't care, though. Like, I want the matchup from a pure fan standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a basketball fan, that's the matchup you should be wanting. Because yes. of storylines and narratives and the players and LeBron versus Kawhi and, you know, can AD and PG rise to the occasion and deliver their respective team to the finals after they've had this much malign, like, oh, they can't, they can't do it when the moment's on, like all this stuff. And if we don't get it. It'll be so disappointing. It's just so damn disappointing. Yeah. Um, I will say that we'll, we'll do something on the Clippers side right now then. Um, you know, I don't even know where to start, uh, but I will start, um, by telling you guys about, uh, indeed. I like your segue. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> I forgot to let you know. <laughs> no, you're Anyways, good. I like it. Um, but just let you guys know about indeed, you know, even though sports had a break, um, your businesses did not, and you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. 
with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Just go right now after the podcast to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. So jumping ahead to the Clippers, um, I think we'll start with uh, what the topic has been over the last couple of days. Um, the, the main topic is, uh, is it, well, is it Doc Rivers' decision-making or is it Montrezl Harrell playing? Or is that the same thing? Um, I feel like, I feel like we'll start with Doc Rivers' decision-making um, because Doc, I think, is a good coach. Um, Doc is, is a player's coach. Uh, Doc is a coach who believes in his players um, possibly more than any coach that we've seen in the league. Um, you know, we've heard players call him a father figure, and there's a, certainly a bond there. Um, just a, a belief in a bond that, that is that is unlike any we've seen. Maybe a Greg Popovich has it internally in a way, um, but I just don't think we've seen this uh, recently or much, much at all. Um, having said that, uh, Doc does have his faults. Uh, he, he is loyal uh, to a fault, and uh, I think we've seen that. We saw that in the Dallas Mavericks series, um, giving Montrezl Harrell um, a pretty long leash, I would say, uh, and placing him in some unfavorable matchups against Boban Marjanovic, um, and then in, with Luka Doncic in pick and rolls. And then, um, you know, in this matchup against the Denver Nuggets, that long, I mean, I don't think it's been a long leash because Tress has not played more than maybe, uh, the 14 minutes a game. Uh, but those 14 minutes have been just dreadful. Um, to put it lightly and to put it briefly. I think they're connected um, from the standpoint that Montrez Harrell's been bad, but I also think he's been bad because of the positions he's been put in. I'm not going to just outright say the guy's been terrible on his own volition, even though I think he hasn't been good. And he's done some boneheaded things. I still think the coaching staff has failed him and failed him and the team in a major way. You talked about it in the first round. What was the one thing when it was 2-2? What was the one thing we kept talking about? Don't play him against Boban Marjanovic. And it's easy. It's so easy because Boban is a bench player just like Trez. And when you see Boban come to the table, you don't put Trez in. And you could actually just play Trez more before Boban gets in and then take him out when Boban checks in. So We talked about this. We, you, you were on the bottom. We talked about this. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. You see Nikola Jokic in the game. At no point when you see Nikola Jokic in the game, can the thought of, gee, I should put our 6-7 center in, ever come across your mind? Ever. Ever. Did you know 
in the 11 postseason game, I'm not counting game five blowout against Dallas. I'm not counting that. Did you know in the other 11 postseason games, Montres Harrell has 24 rebounds? In 11 games. In 11 games. Yeah. Uh, there's just. If your 6 7 energy center isn't scoring, and he's not scoring really, and when he does score, it's not much. Yes, he had 15 points in game four and 15 points in game one. I get it. I 100% get it. He even had 10 points in game two, 11 points in game three. I get it. He did tally up some points. The problem isn't offensively. It is offensively too, though. I'm telling you, watching their offense with him on the floor and him off the floor is – Two different things. Yeah, it, it definitely stagnates once he's in. Yes, I will say that. It they tried, stagnates. and I've talked about this on Twitter. I've talked about it with people. I've texted people in the know. I've texted people that I, that I talk to as reporters. And the one thing that is driving me crazy, more than just the defense that, that happens when he's on the floor, is the offense. Because when he's on the floor – What's the two things that you've noticed in this series with him on the floor offensively? Number one, they try like hell to get him the ball. Right. They, they force feed him. I understand. I understand why you want to. Number two, and finally, they put him in the worst spots. They have him standing in the dunker spot. They don't have him moving. Having Montrez Harrell, who I will repeat, is a 6'7 center. He's not a power forward as much as people want to try to say it on positional charts. He's a center. That's his position. When he comes in the game, he is a center. If you're having your 6'7 center stand in the dunker spot offensively, where the opposing big, whether it's Nikola Jokic or Mason Plumlee, who are both big men and much bigger than him, You're completely suffocating the offensive structure that you have built because now that big man that's defending him in the dunker spot is so much closer to the rim and doesn't have to move to cover space. So you've completely neutered your offense. And on the defensive end, he's not stopping nobody. Jokic is so big and tall, he's just going to shoot over the top of him. And even if you bring the double with Harrell guarding him, He can look right over him and make the read for the pass. So it doesn't matter. And the problem really comes down to they have not put him in the right spots. He's looked fine against Mason Plumlee. He's looked god-awful against Nikola Jokic. And if you have any common sense through six games of a series – the number one rule should be do not play Montrez Harrell with Nikola Jokic on the floor. The number two rule, get that man into some damn pick and rolls because, my God, if he's just going to stand there, there ain't no point of him being in the game because he's an offensive center more than anything. And if you're not going to put the offensive center in his offensive center spots, you're screwing everything up. Don't play him then. It's that simple. Yeah, I, I agree with 100% of what you I'm just said. I'm sorry for ranting. No, I mean, this is – you're just speaking, I think, what, what, what some people have seen, some people haven't seen. I don't know if you haven't seen this. Uh, I don't know what you're watching. But um, I think 
Jokic said it best himself the other day. Um, I, I joined the Nuggets Zoom call and cautiously raised my hand to ask him a question. Uh, Nuggets media were polite, polite enough to call on me, and I asked That's him. Nice I, was, of them, by I the said, way. Yeah, "Very I nice of them." That. Um, I asked him. I was like, "Hey, what are some of the differences between for you that you see between Jokic between Zubats and um, Harrell?" Uh, and and Jokic pretty much explained it. You know, he said they're they're com- the first thing he said. I asked. I just asked for challenges. The first thing he said is there are two completely types of defenders. If he pointed out defenders right away. Zubats is bigger and taller. He said he's covering the space really good. I can't shoot over him easy. I know. I know you and Yovan talked about that 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 quote right there. Um, and then he said Harold is a strong guy who will always get into my body. But again, you said it at six seven. And with Joker, who is what seven foot, six eleven maybe? Um, I think I think he's like seven seven one. Seven one, even even that difference. Uh, You're talking basically half a foot. Let's be, let's just call it half a foot. Yeah, that's the difference between seeing a double team and being able to shoot over a guy, um, as compared to Zubats, who is a a much bigger. Um, I don't want to say. A, as athletic defensively as Trez, but he's able to, like Jokic said, um, cover the space around really well, cover the paint well. Um, so uh, the fact that Jokic said that, you know, openly and started with talking about defense off the bat, the defensive challenges, to me sort of came as like, all right, so this guy is just like well aware that with Zubats it's going to be tough and with Trez, it's going to be a much, much easier task. And so, um, you know, I, just just to look at the numbers, I mean, against against, I mean, I'm sure you were going to bring this up, but against Zubats, this this uh, this series, um, in 43 minutes, Jokic is shooting 20, 29 of 61 from the field, 47 percent, 47.5 percent. In 13 minutes against Montres Harrell. 12 of 17 from the field, 70.6%. Um, I mean, he's got – it's just tough. Uh, the, the stats are really just showing themselves. I mean, um, obviously, Harrell has been limited against Jokic, and limited minutes against Jokic, but there's a reason for that. It's because Jokic is absolutely tearing him and the Clippers up when Harrell's matched up with him. And so – through six games, you would assume, like I asked Doc this the other day, uh, cautiously, um, you know, asking him, like, hey, how much are, is lineup data something you pay attention to? Hmm. Um, because right now, implying that, you know, Trez is getting freaking burked whenever he's out there. And he says, we see all of it. He's got a, he's got a, I got a thousand coaches. I got five analytical guys. And we all, we see everything. And um, at this point, it just leads me to believe that it's a trust thing. It's a bond thing where he believes and wants to live or die by Trez, um, you know, by believing in Trez. Um, and if you, and if they die believing in Trez then so be it, but the impact of not believing in Trez, um, benching him, uh, ego wise, confidence wise, free agency wise, this is a guy who's a free agent this summer who's going to, who, who is probably was looking at a near max contract, to, to start the season, and that's probably dropped off significantly. Um, there's a lot at stake for Trez here, and I think Doc wants to um, preserve as much of that as possible. So, um, statistically, there is no reason Trez should be playing more than the minutes that Plumlee's on the court. 
uh, just to put it straight out, straightforward. Uh, Trez is a great guy. Um, uh, he's never turned on an interview for me except for once, and he's just going through some stuff, and I understand that. Uh, he's been he's a fantastic person. Uh, obviously, going through a lot in his life as well. Uh, this isn't personal. If, yeah, but, but yeah, I know. But if 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 the goal is to win a playoff series, just like Frank Vogel did with the Lakers, egos aside, JaVale, take a seat. Dwight, take a seat. We're going to do what's best for the team. And what's best for the team in this Clippers uh, Nuggets series is for Trez to only play the Mason Plumley minutes, and that's it. The second we- you see Jokic walk up to the scorer's table, you have to send Zubas to the scorer's table. That's how I feel about it. We need to change it. It's not a series anymore. It's a game. It's yeah, it's a game. It's, it's a game. It's not even a series. It, it's a literal game. It's not. Oh, if you lose game seven, game eight's around the corner. No, it's it's a literal game. It is a game, and that's that's the thing. It's it's just a game. It's one game is going to determine everything. And I want to say something here. I know I've kind of crapped on Doc Rivers a lot. I get it. I understand. I'm not a major rah rah Doc guy. Okay, I get it. Also, I have some sympathy for him because this is an unenviable position to be in. You're six-man-of-the-year award winner. Whether we think he deserved it over Dennis Schroeder or even Lou Williams does not matter. He won it. It's his award. Won it like a week ago, in fact. During this series, I believe, right? Yeah. So you have your six-man-of-the-year award winner who is averaging – I don't even remember how many minutes per game he was averaging – in the regular season, it's probably like 25, 27, 28, something like that, right? Uh, in the regular season, he was about 27 minutes, yeah. Okay. He's already taken a minutes cut. And whether or not you want to say that's because he came into the bubble late because of the passing of his grandmother, that's one thing. His minutes have been cut by basically 10 minutes a game. He went from yeah. 27.8 minutes a game to 18.1. So now he's already lost 10 minutes. Okay? Now, remind you, to remind Six man of the year award winner already saw his minutes get cut by 10 minutes per game. And now you have to tell him when he's on the verge of a new free agent contract that could net him honest to God in a five-year contract from the Clippers before the season, if you were just spitballing, he could have got a hundred million. He probably could have got 20 million a year. Uh Now you're going to have to tell him if you're doc rivers and doing what we say, you're going to have to tell them, I'm sorry, I know free agency is around the corner. And in fact, it could even be after next game if we lose. But I'm sorry, you're not playing tonight. Or if you do play, you're only getting maybe five to eight minutes. That's a crappy position to be in as a head coach. It's, real, it's not even an ego thing. It's, it's, a, it's a sympathy thing. Like you're telling this guy who won an award for being – the best bench player in basketball who already had his minutes cut by 10 minutes per game in the postseason to not play when free agency is literally a game away for him. It's tough. And also, I don't know what people want in Doc. I, I overreact to things all the time. I'm obviously guilty of this. We all are. I don't know what people want a Doc Rivers to say um, to some things like, yeah, I'm just not going to play the guy. Like in a, in a, in a press conference, like what? Like that's not happening. He's not going to just kill his confidence in the media. Now in closed doors, he might tell him you're only getting about 10 minutes tonight. I'm sorry. 
but he's not going to tell the media that because then that then they we in the media we quotations i guess will run with that and really kill him and you can't do that it's a tough situation i sympathize with him it's um, not yeah it's not an enviable situation i i do want to add though, though there's one game you gotta you gotta play to win you don't play for friends you play for wins yeah, a hundred percent. I do want to say though that this isn't entirely on 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 Trez though. It's not um, because you know I, I looked at this earlier, but in the last two games, um, let's say I think it was the second half of the last two games, uh, the Clippers oh, starters the- have been god awful. Yeah, um, it's not just on him. Trying to find it real quick. It's not just on him. Like, I know I've referenced, like, oh, the Clippers are minus 30 in the nine minutes that Harrell's played against Jokic in the second half of game five and game six. I get it. That's awful. And, yeah, if he's not playing in those minutes, they likely win. But uh, you got outscored 67-30 as a team in the second half of one game, guys. Yeah, it is. I think it's 131 to 84 um, over the last two Two quarters, uh, two second halves. I believe it's 131 to 84, I think is what it is. 131 to, to 84? I think is what, the, yeah, the scoring is second half-wise. Even if you take away his minus 30, you're still getting outscored by 17 points. Now, in two games, it's only, eight, what, like, I just, oh, my God, my brain just melted. Eight and a half points a game. But still, you're still getting outscored. Yeah, yeah. Here it is, hundred thirty-one to eighty-four in the second half of Game Five and Game Six. So I, I tweeted out earlier today. I don't know if you saw this. Um, do you know only two lineups in this series have played uh, at least thirty minutes? I believe it is. Uh, not just for the Clippers, but for the for the Nuggets too. Is it just the starters? Yeah, it's the starters. Yeah, I um, there's been a lot of tinkering and then. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Fifty fifty minutes. Excuse me. Um, yeah, they've only they've only played one lineup each at fifty minutes. Um, you ready for the fun part? Okay. They're both negatives. Both the starting lineups, uh, net rating wise. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Beverly, George, Leonard, Moore, Zubots is negative 0.7 in 61 minutes. So like nothing. Murray, Harris, Grant, Millsap, Jokic is minus 2.4 in 113 minutes. So nothing. It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, this is a this is a, an even series and more even than I think it should have been. Um, I think they when, made it harder for themselves, which is yeah. what they did against Dallas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't know how much of it is is maybe Doc trying to hide some cars, maybe not playing a you know Marcus Morris at the five or Jamichael Green at the five as much. Um, maybe saving that for the Lakers series uh, because I think we talked about it during the Dallas series and how they didn't travel Luca until Game Five. Um, yeah, game five and then game six. Um, oh, can I talk about that for a second? Going, I, don't mean to yeah. cut, I don't mean to cut you off. Um, actually, actually, I'm going to read a bet online ad real quick, and then you can talk about that. Go right ahead, baby. Sorry. Give it to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, just going to tell you guys about bet online. Uh, as you know, the wait is finally over, and football is finally back. Uh, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at bet online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and even coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager 
than anywhere else. You can, you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Just head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, go ahead, Justin. So, I lost my train of thought. Oh, my God. Trapping, you're talking about... Oh, yes. About okay, thank you. Um, this is why we have a duo here. <laughs> um, you brought up how they trapped Luka Doncic. I remember through the first four games of that series, I was like pounding my fists on the table. Why are you not trapping him? Why are you not trapping him, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what we haven't seen much of since game three or four, I believe? It might have been game three. It might have been game three. I have to go back and look. I did a video breakdown on it. I'm sorry. All these games run together. When you play the same team over and over, every game looks kind of similar to what, some degree. What we haven't seen since game three? Yeah. Is it? Um, I'm sorry. Game four. Since game four, all that much. Is it trapping Jamal out of the pick and roll? No. Is we don't haven't even really seen that. Is it doubling Jokic? Yes. Yeah. So game four, they doubled Jokic in the mid post. Uh, not all the time, but they did it about nine or 10 times. Um, mm-hmm. I did a video breakdown of it and it worked. Uh, they didn't do it a lot, but they did it every now and then. Um, it's actually kind of what might've won them game four to some degree, just to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really do it in game five. They did it here and there in game six. Uh, when I say here and there, I mean, maybe twice. Um, <laughs> One of them was a turnover, I believe. I, I vividly remember a turnover in game six from it. Um, they just stopped doing it. And I don't know why. I don't. Because even as good as I think the Denver role players have been, who do you want taking a shot? Nikola Jokic or Jeremy Grant? Yeah, absolutely Jeremy Grant. I mean, Who do you want taking a shot? Torrey Craig or Jamal Murray? Torrey Craig. I just don't understand why you see who is on the floor and choose the literal worst decision every time. I think this just goes back to, to them not wanting to show all their cards. That's the only reasonable explanation because you know what happens when you don't show all your cards, you, you, you gamble and you might lose. Yeah. You might lose. Yeah. I, uh, that's the only way I can explain it because this team was built to be able to switch trap and be able to recover, recover. Uh, and Zubat has shown the ability um, to, to, to be able to, you know, uh, show on, on some pick and rolls, uh, drop if he needs to, um, you know, and this team is capable of it. And so if they're not doing it, my only thought is they're trying not to do it because nothing else makes sense to me. I, I do will say, though, that I don't think they've attacked Nikola Jokic as much, um, you know, defensively. He, he's not. I mean, look, he's not. He's, I don't think he's a bad defender. Um, but he's certainly not an above-average defender, I don't think. They um, haven't made him move his feet nearly I, enough. Yeah, and I think you have – challenging his verticality is just his, – his, uh, sorry, his lateral movement. Um, challenging his movement out of pick and rolls, challenging, challenging him to defend, make him come out on a Kawhi or a Paul George, or make him have to recover um, on a roll, on a Zubats. Uh, I just think they haven't really done anything with that. They've really let him off the hook this series. I do want to give him credit, and even Denver, the entire Denver team, like they're just not going away. They were down by 13 with a minute and a half to go in game five and could have gave up, and they didn't. They were down by 19 early in the third quarter of game, of game six and could have gave up and didn't. 
They're not yeah. going away. And they believe that they can beat the Clippers. And this is why I said during game five, when the Clippers were up by even, I think like 15 at one point before it got down to 13 with a minute and a half to go in the third. If you let a team hang around long enough, whether or not you think they're your equal, usually it will come back to bite you in the ass. And it came back to bite them twice. In game five, it was the Paul Millsap third quarter. In game six, it was everything else. They couldn't stop anything. They shot like crap in the third quarter. Like, if you look at it, third quarters have killed them. Like, they come out focused and then stop. Like, third quarter, Paul Millsap, game five, killed them. He had like 14 points in the third. Yeah, 14 of his 17 in the third quarter. Third quarter, game six. They shot four of 20 and gave up 16 free throws to Denver. This is a team with their back against the wall, and you're giving them 16 free throw attempts. And the, and the thing is, they also they increased their lead to the biggest margin at 19. They were up 68-49 at that point. When Jamal Murray went down on the PG block, PG yes. rushed over and made a three as a trailer. Yeah, Denver called timeout with, I think it was 10 minutes left. And from 10, 10. on, it was just a uh, – I mean, uh, the house you was almost, just burned down. You yeah. almost cussed. And I love you for it. I, I just, it, it was, <laughs> at 19, I thought, all right, this is, this is where they're going to change what happened in game five. Put their foot on the throat. Jamal Murray's not looking good out there. He's just moving gingerly. Um, you have the starters out there who, know, who knew what happened in game five, and you're going to put your foot down and end it in game six. And they did the exact opposite. And they couldn't defend. Now, I don't know how many of those fouls were actually fouls, but they defended without, oh, they couldn't on. defend without fouling. Hold on. No, they did, they did foul. They did foul. They did foul. I will say I'm that. not going to sit here, and I want this to be clear. They gave up 16 free throw attempts because they were lazy. No, yeah, again, but 16 free throw attempts in a quarter is still pretty wild. And I think, it's wild, and I you know think that Doc did deliver a message today in his, in his media availability when he said, um, you know, hey, they shot 16 free throws in a quarter. That really let them back in the game. Um, I felt like that was a bit of a uh, – a bit of a message. I will just say that. I don't want to get that. It can be a message all he wants. I'm going to say it again. The refs are not why they blew that lead. No, no, no. They're not why they blew that lead. No, of course not. I, and I'm not going to look at the refs and be like, man, sure wish you would have called fewer fouls when we couldn't make a shot and couldn't defend them without fouling. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I'm sorry. You, you fouled them. You fouled them time and again. Paul Millsap drew a foul on Jermichael Green. Because Jermichael Green wasn't in legal guarding position. It was 100% a foul. You know, like, they, they just fouled. They got lazy. They thought it was over again. And I'm sorry. In this, in this version of the National Basketball Association, I don't care if you got a 25-point lead in the second half. The game ain't over. Not with threes and not with the ability to get to the free throw line that a lot of these players have. It ain't over. And, and they, I think, they stopped playing. Yeah, I think um, – And Doc's right. I want to say that. Doc is right. The off, as bad as the defense has been in the second half, most especially third and fourth quarters the last two games, their offense has let them down. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have not shot well in the, in the second half of these last two games. Their entire offense as a team has not moved the ball. People are not cutting. There's no screens. It's so much one-on-one stuff. It's so much easier to guard a team when they're only giving you one action. And yeah. they're helping Denver 
more than they realize. And Denver's doing an amazing job. I'm trying not to take away from what Denver has done. They're well, a great I, I think story. I think you it's can just I, I think you can say that while Denver has done a good job, and we've said this all year, the only team that can beat the Clippers is the Clippers themselves. By if they don't do what they're supposed to do, um, they don't communicate, bring the energy defensively. If they don't move the ball offensively, they're going to lose games uh, because they already have sort of a uh, a liability when they bring Lou and Trez off the bench defensively. So that's something they already have to account for off the bat. Um, and you, you just can't afford to, to, to take plays off. Uh, I don't care how, how, Not in the how much of a lead. Yeah, I don't care how much of a lead you have. And they've done that twice, three times. I think they did that in game four too, but they were able to recover. Okay, so three um, things. Number one, you know why this is even more infuriating for this version of the team? Because... They came back from 31 in the third quarter against Golden State last season yeah. in the playoffs. <laughs> Among any team... That team, the team with Patrick Beverly and Landry Shamit and Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams and Avica Zubats, who were on the team last year, Jamichael Green, who were playing minutes, those guys more than anybody understand the problems of taking the foot off the gas in a postseason game in the second half with a monster lead. And they still did it. Not only twice in a row, and this is the second point, this isn't a two games in a row thing. In game four, they blew a 21-point lead and had to save their own ass at the end of the game. Furthermore, point three, this is not even a one-series trend. This is an actual team trend because they did the same thing in the first round against Dallas where they blew a major lead in a game. And they've done it all year. They did it against Atlanta in the comeback where Atlanta shouldn't have won that game. This is a team who in the second half of games, when they get a big lead, for some reason, I don't know why, they just assume the other team is going to stop playing. And I'm sorry, this is the NBA. No team's just going to quit, except for maybe the Houston Rockets. So... (laughs) And maybe I just jinx the Clippers for game seven and they just roll, a, roll out of bed and roll an egg out on the floor and just keel over. I, I mean, don't know. You asked me – let's bring up what you asked me earlier. Level of confidence, one through ten. Ten be the most confident that the Clippers win tomorrow. Or well, today five. by the time this podcast. I was a five today. before I started talking about this. <laughs> Wait, what are you now? <laughs> like a three. <laughs> no, nah, I'm going to be – I'm 50-50. I've – after la- – so I'm going to be honest with you. After game five, I knew they were losing game six. It didn't even matter the lead that they got. I just knew. Like, once you do that, I, I just think it's, it's ingrained. Like, like, it's gonna, like, you know what I mean? So I figured there was going to be a game seven. Um, I've kind of waffled between Denver's just going to obliterate them and, you know, the Clippers are going to answer the bell and they're going to win. I don't know who, I don't know how much they're going to win by, but they're going to win. So, so I, I told I'm, I'm 50-50. So you're out of five, pretty much. Yeah. I, I, I told one of, my, one of my buddies this. I said, well, I actually tweeted this too, which I think some Clipper fans called me after being negative. Uh, I said, as soon as, as, soon as, uh, as, soon as Nikola Jokic hit that off-balance, wrong-footed, fadeaway, like, goofy-looking shot over Paul George in the first half, 
I was like, that is a bad omen for the rest of this game. That is a bad sign. And I don't think – I don't know if the Clips will win this game after that. There's been a I, couple of them because Jamal Murray hit that banked in three over Harrell in game five in the comeback. Uh, that one – again, they were in the middle of a comeback. But this game – this was still early when the Clippers had, I think, like a 12-point lead when Jokic hit that shot. And I'm like, uh, that – when he makes that, he's feeling he's so comfortable. Good. He's feeling like himself. He's not – I thought that was a bad omen. And they ended up losing that game. Um, I'll be honest. My confidence right now is probably at a three. And I don't know if it's it's not. I don't think it's pessimism. I just think that when you allow a team so much confidence, they are just brimming with confidence and swagger right now. Like they did this last series, they did this two last postseason, uh, and they almost beat the Nugget, they beat the uh, Blazers, excuse me, in Game Seven last year to go to the conference finals to play the Warriors. They lost by I think four. It was it was like a two possession game I think it was. So they they have been through this and like Jokic said Jokic said it yesterday uh, after the game. He said I'm feeling no pressure right now. The pressure's all on them and he's a hundred percent right. They are mm-hmm. playing so free and so so smooth that even even if the Clippers go up by twenty tomorrow I don't even think anyone will relax or on the Nuggets I'd even be worried because the Nuggets know that they've given up big leads in the past and they probably will do it again and the Clippers. Um, maybe, maybe they'll say, Hey, we, we know what we're capable of. Let's try and end this right now. I don't see that happening. I, I don't, I really don't know, but my confidence level right now is at a three because I believe they, they've just given Denver way too much confidence. I mean, Jamal Murray shot nine of 25 in game five and, and they lost that game. And, and, and they, they, yeah, the Nuggets won that game. Yeah. Um, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were great. Yeah. Jamal Murray shot, nine, I think it was nine of 13 in game six. I think it was pretty good. Um, no, uh, he... Uh, 13, what was he? In game six. Am I off about that? What was he? Yeah, in game five, uh, Jamal Murray was... Uh, nine of 25 in that game. Nine of 25. Yeah, no, in game six, he was nine of 13 from the field. Oh, wow, he was, yeah. Yeah, so he, he, he shot and played well that game. 21 points, five rebounds, five assists. Um, and again, you let him hang around, he's not going to shoot 30% for a series. He's going to get loose eventually. And they they might have... Um, the ultimate high variance player off the bench in the series, and Michael Porter Jr. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I think he takes the most god awful shot decisions I've ever seen. But does it matter if you're making them at that point in a postseason no. series no. in a one game playoff at this he, point? He made his comments um, about not, but not not moving the ball as much. He got the ball with a two point game with about a minute left and pulled up for a contested three and made that thing. That was and the only shot he hit. And, and Yeah, and essentially ended the game there because it was a five-point game. Clippers didn't score on that, and they were too flustered. It was over. Um, it was the so, only shot he hit all game, too. Yeah. I, mean, I think it was one of three or something like that. But, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, in game six, he goes for 13.7 rebounds. He hits three threes in 27 minutes. He's a plus 12 off the bench. Uh, ended up with the second-highest second plus-minus on the team. There's a there's a shot he hits in the second quarter uh, to cut it to ten. Uh, market left wing three. Marcus Morris seniors closing out. It's a great contest, and he just hits it. It doesn't yeah, matter. So, so he's capable of going off, and, and you've used up the games where I I personally feel like you've used up the games where Jamal Murray uh, has gone quiet, mm-hmm. and and I think I think I hope I'm wrong, but I think we're due for a big Jamal Murray game. And I hope that the Clippers can survive it, if only so we get Clippers-Lakers. Because, uh, the, like I said, Denver, everyone on that team just has so much confidence. Um, coming back from down through, just to tie the series, not even to win it yet, but to tie the series, they know that they can win multiple games against this team. 
they know that they can overcome any deficit um, and they, they just know that they're never out of it. And I think that's that you get, you, you gave them life, not once, but you gave them life twice. Uh, will you make that mistake a third time? I don't know, uh, but it might be too late. Uh, the one guy, sure. the one guy they need to put on Jamal Murray is Paul George. That's the guy. I don't think Kawhi can guard him as messed up as that sounds. I think Kawhi struggles with how, uh, like the low center of gravity and the shiftiness. Yeah, I think he, yeah, I would agree with you. Paul George has done a fantastic job on him. All series. He's been, he's been terrific on him. If you just look at the matchup data, courtesy of the NBA, uh, Jamal Murray's seven of 22 with Paul George defending him. And here's the crazy part. That's he's two of 10 in the, in the, uh, on twos. He's five of 12 on threes, two of 10 on twos. Wow. Um, he's has 23 points on 22 shots. I, that's the guy who has to guard him from, from, from the jump. And I understand they're going to want to try to pay Patrick Beverly on him. I get it. Nope. Nope. I'm going to tell you exactly why. Patrick Beverly, while he is on a minutes limit, is probably going to play close to 30 minutes in game seven. You right. cannot have Patrick Beverly foul out. That's also what kind of screwed them over in game six. I agree. He fouled out early in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, I think what they should do, Paul George on Jamal Murray, Patrick Beverly on Gary Harris, Kawhi Leonard on Jeremy Grant. Actually, no. No, no, no. Paul George on Jamal Murray, Kawhi Leonard on Gary Harris, Patrick Beverly on Jeremy Grant, Marcus Morris on Paul Millsap, and then Zubats on Jokic. Because honestly, the reason I would actually want Beverly on Grant is I think Beverly as the low man in pick-and-roll defense, Uh even though as good as Kawhi is at it, I think he can wreak more havoc trying to rip the ball away from like Jokic. Because in game four, and even in game five, you had one of these. When Jokic gets the ball near the nail on a roll and spins into Zubat's body, Beverly comes from the weak side, digs down, and rips him out. He's done it a couple times. That's the guy I want as the low man. And... I, I don't think it does anything for your defense to have Beverly be handsy with Jamal Murray and get into foul trouble and get them easy points. I, I think, yeah, I, I don't think so either. I think which is your funny, best option is throwing Paul George at him. Which is funny because Paul George has been in foul trouble a couple times in the series from the similar things, but you they need been, Paul George. Those have been some offensive fouls that he's extended the arm driving he, in or gotten charges. Some, so he's had some gotta, weird ones. I got to be honest. He's had some absolutely abysmal fouls. I don't, like, yeah. I, like, I don't mean like called I mean, like where he's Decisions. done it to himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I believe it's what is it? He's commit. He's committed nine offensive fouls in the postseason. Yeah, a lot of them are self-inflicted. He's just extending the arm or uh, getting a charge taken. So, um, yeah, it's just self-inflicted. Uh, but again, this goes back to this: the Clippers are killing themselves. They're their own worst enemies. Um, well, at so. the end of the day, they better be careful because their own worst enemy might actually end up being Denver if they're not careful. <laughs> I mean, at this point, yeah, at this point with the bubble format, um, I feel like logic sort of is thrown out the window and it's just a, a game of who, who gets luckier and who wants it more. Um, 50-50 balls are going to be huge in this game. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think if either team goes up by 10 or 12, it's gonna, there's going to be a, 
no. a sense of calmness. Maybe no. even maybe even fifteen or sixteen. I don't think there's a sense of. Calmness. I'll be honest with you. I think if Denver goes up by fifteen, I think they're more comf- confident and comfortable, and the Clippers will be up by fifteen. After the last couple of games, I I think I agree yeah. with you, but I think Denver has a, has a, has a a tendency to to let teams back into games when they get up big. Just the game know. seven against Utah, where they were up by I want to say fifteen or fifteen or sixteen points in the, in that first half, and then let Utah come back and make it a game. So, uh, but again, this is the NBA, and teams make runs. So. Look, uh, hey, Denver might win. I mean, might Denver could win, and 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 I would actually favor them for this game seven because I'm not a big momentum believer in sports. I just think every game is different, every possession's different. But I believe in their belief that they can do it. I I would agree with you that momentum isn't a big thing, especially in the bubble, except when it's a three-one deficit against a team that has looked this flustered. In second halves. Uh, I mean, uh, we talked about it before. You looked at the faces of, uh, during that time, that Clippers timeout, the face of Marcus Morris, Paul George, Kawhi. They looked like they were looking into a thousand-yard stare. They had a thousand-yard stare on their face. They just could not believe what was going on. And so, I mean, that's two straight games now. Uh, I don't know. Do you you start to question uh, whether you guys can do it? I mean, after game five, Marcus said they knew what they they had to do. Uh, Paul George said it's up to them in game six. Game six came and they didn't take advantage. And Paul still thinks you're in the driver's seat for this game seven. I don't know how he thinks that. Um, Can I be honest with you? People trying to rip him for thinking that is weird. Like if you don't think that you are the better team, you're just not going to win. No, but I I will say in the sense that you've just blown two huge games and two leads, I don't think there is a driver's seat here. I think there's two people in a car wrestling to get to the driver's seat. I would agree with that. I don't think there's anyone sitting in the driver's seat right now. I think there's two people in the back seat trying to get to the driver's seat, if you want to put it, you know, based on this analogy. Because um, I, I just don't think either team has control here. We, we could see anything happen on, on Tuesday night. So, um, yeah, that, that's how I feel. It's going to be crazy. Um, you have a before – we, before we let you go, um, anything else you wanted to add? Maybe a prediction for the game score-wise? I don't have a prediction. Um, pain. <laughs> pain. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I'm just I'm just gonna be completely honest. Um, the person inside me who has watched the Clippers, rooted for the Clippers, been to Clipper games, covered the Clippers thinks there's no way they win tomorrow, uh, on Tuesday. I will say that because I think people need to understand this isn't a one-year thing. This ain't a two-year. We're talking decades of what is the worst thing that can happen and then it happens. Um, until they do it, until they win and get to the conference finals for the first time in their franchise history. This was the, this is the 50th year in franchise history. This was supposed to be the year 50 years, make a conference finals. They were up three, one 13 points late in the third quarter of game five. And they couldn't do it yet. If they don't do it on Tuesday night in game seven against the Denver nuggets in a series, they were massively favored and up three, one with and up by 13 late in game in the third quarter of game five. I don't know when they'll ever do it. And I know that sounds completely pessimistic and defeatist. But as a person who has been around this team for decades, 
literally nothing that happened in the last two games gives me any reason to believe they can do it until they do it. And right. that's how I feel. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I was, a, I don't know if you were, I may have thought, but I was a game six for the Rockets, Clippers Rockets series. Um, and watch that uh, just meltdown. And the walk out of Staples Center uh, was just, I don't even know how to explain. I don't even remember. That. I remember that walk very vividly um, because a friend who I was trying to get into basketball and became a Clipper fan out of it was just like, kept asking me, dude, what the hell just happened? Oh, what the hell just happened? Um, the Clippers and, happened. Uh, yeah. And so, and so, you know, when, when the Clippers lost game five, um, I messaged my, my group chat, which has a couple of Laker friends. Uh, and they were just like, dude, why is everyone going nuts? Why? Like, do you guys still have game six and even a game seven if you need it? And I'm like, dude, it's because it's the Clippers. I'm like, if you don't root for this team, you don't know. You just, you just haven't been through it. And then, and then they lose game six. And I'm like, dude, you see, I told you, I told you it's just, it's just a, a weird I don't even think it's a pessimist. I think I think until you see it happen, you it's just impossible to to believe it, to 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 imagine it. Um, and so even when they when when they won when they won Game Four, I was like, okay. I had a I mean, tweet that I kind of regret. Like I might have put bad juju out there after Game Four. I don't believe in jinxes myself. Personally. I don't really either. But I had um, I should try to find it. It was like it's a good thing that um oh, what was it uh, oh september night here we go at 9:04 p.m. the los angeles clippers have taken a 3-1 series lead it's a good thing they've never blown a lead like that in the second round of a postseason series your sarcasm came back for you yep um and so yeah so I, again i i don't know what happens tomorrow i'm 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 cautiously pessimistic i will say that uh because i, I just you, think are you at the stage of like um, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst? Oh, I've spent the last 24 hours preparing for the worst. <laughs> no, I, no, I really, I really have. I really have. Uh, yeah. I've I just know. been, it's just been in like a, like a, you know what? We, I, there's nothing worse than this is before I was, I was covering the team. I was just a fan back then. There's nothing worse than that. And so when they lost game six, I think when I talked to you, when, I, when they lost game five, I was like, what the hell do you even ask? Because, Okay, they still have two more chances, but eh. And then when they lost game six, I'm like, okay, this is 2015 all over again. I tweeted that. I was like, we're literally watching 2015 all over again where you had a big double-digit lead. They, they had the same exact lead amount. It was 19 points that they blew in 2015 game six, yep. and it was 19 in game six of 20, 2020 that they blew. Yep. In the third quarter. Yep. And I, uh, I was just – it's, I mean, it's almost laughable because it's unbelievable. I just, you don't even know what to expect at this point. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, uh, really. That's taxes, uh, so. Clippers taking years off my life. Years? I mean, I mean, might be, that might I be mean, dead in a couple of weeks. I think people need to understand something. And I understand there are Laker fans that listen to this and they probably tuned out by now because the Laker talk is over. I, I just want people to understand something until you've lived it until you've lived being a Clipper fan, you don't know what it's like. <laughs> like I'm being, I'm being honest, like, no, I know. I know. People kept talking about like how, Oh, it's gotta be crappy to be a Cubs fan. 
they get so close and never like this is worse um because i think personally it's worse just because this was the year and everything broke how it should have been and mm. it might not matter because you're the clippers and i don't know what they do if they lose games do they change the name they might just have to change the name i mean uh, you, you go back to 06 with uh Raja Bell's three over Daniel Ewing. Oh my God. That substitution. You go back to the eight-second violation. They're 0 and seven. They're 0 and seven all time in franchise history in games that could get them to the conference finals. They're 0 and six since moving to Los Angeles because one of those times was in uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. So they're 0 and six. One of them was that game seven at Phoenix where they got hammered. Um, everything else is the Houston series. In this series, it's just uh, yeah. Uh, that Houston series, though, I mean, once they lost Game Six, you knew they were done. I think I think there's still hope that they can they can win this series here because one, they don't have to go to Denver or anything like that. Um, two, they so I, you still I th- still think they have the best player in the series, although Nikola Jokic just played like the best series, best player in the series. So two things. Number one, you're absolutely right. When Game 7 came around for that 2015 series, I knew they were done. It was, it done. was over. There was absolutely no hope. And everyone walked know, out of Staples Center that way. I don't know if, if they don't I, – I don't know. if I haven't reached the no hope stage of this one. Um, maybe that will change after the first quarter on Tuesday. I don't know. Um, <laughs> however, what is a little bit weird, I guess, and it's something that I was thinking about today, oddly enough, as I was doing stuff around the house – it's probably good for this team that there is no home court because this game seven at Staples Center, if this had happened like this, buddy, that stadium will be silent waiting for something to go wrong. The tension. You've been there when it's been tense. You would just have fans that would just sit there just waiting for something to go wrong. Maybe it's good it's in a bubble setting where there ain't no fans. So I, in, that, in that Rocket series, I went to game three and I went to game four. And I think, I think it was game four was the one where DeAndre Jordan shot like 20 free throws in the first half and the Clippers still blew him out. And then I was like, you know what? We're probably good here. I'm like, even if they lose game five, you probably come home and you, you just demolish them. Clippers fans are excited. The Stables was rocking during that series. And so I was like, all right, you know, they, they probably come home and take care of it if they lose game, game five. Game, yeah, game five. And once they lost game six, in the manner in which they lost game six, I think even J.J. Redick admitted this. Uh, they, were, they were literally done. Their belief was gone. Uh, emotionally, they were drained. Um, and there was just there was just no belief. I, I don't think, like you said, we're not at that stage here. Uh, however, um, given the magnitude of the series, uh, just what's at stake? Because I think you can make. I think this team is easily better than the 2015 team that blew a three-one lead in terms of their expectations and in terms of their 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 ceiling. Um, Do you want the scarier pa- uh, parallel for that year? For 2015. Yeah. Okay. Who was the team waiting for them in the conference finals? Uh, the Warriors. What were the Warriors considered at that time? Underdogs, I believe. The best team in basketball. Were they? Was that was that the was that the uh, 
That was the 67 win season. Oh, that was the first Steve Kerr year. That's right. That was the first year. They were the best team in basketball. And, well, and here's the other parallel. The Golden State Warriors that year through two rounds played 10 games. The Lakers also played 10 games. You ready for the crazier parallel? Okay. In that second round series for the Warriors against the Memphis Grizzlies, what was the key change that coach Steve Kerr made? Uh, was it throwing, uh, was it subbing out David Lee and putting, uh, no, no, hold on. What was it? Was it, was it start, start, starting at Iguodala? Who was it? What was it? Nope. It was making sure that Andrew Bogut guarded Tony Allen. Oh, but your, your memory is better than mine. Yep. Um, so, so what you're saying is Zubat has to guard Jeremy Grant and we're good. You know, what's crazy. <laughs> and I, and I do want to, we need to end this. We've been talking way too long. You know what is crazy? That's not the worst idea in the world. They literally did it last round against Dorian Finney-Smith. Oh, yeah, yeah. I absolutely thought they, they should have done that at some point and maybe thrown Kawhi at Jokic. Yeah. Um, because he can, he can be physical with him. He's long. but And then have the double come from Paul George or, yeah. or Morris at the nail. And this way, Zubats is still closer to the rim to be the rim protector if someone cuts. But the problem is rotating. If they move the ball in the perimeter, Zubats is the guy who has to come over and, and, and help it. out. That's the only I get it. Negative. I think I would still rather just live with it. If Jeremy Grant beats you hitting seven threes in a game, That's just true. throw your damn hands up and just count your lucky stars that it didn't happen earlier and you were sent home faster. <laughs> you have to spend more time at Disney World. Yeah. Seriously. All right, Justin, anything you I'm want to plug before no. we uh, hop off? Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at FlyByNight, F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. You can follow me on Patreon, patreon.com slash flybynight. I will say this about my Patreon. I know it's mostly Clippers re- or all Clippers related. If the Clippers do lose game seven, you are going to – well, first off, I have a breakdown video. By the time you're listening to this, I have a breakdown video out on Tuesday for game six. Um, if the Clippers do lose game seven, I will have a breakdown video out Wednesday. And if the Clippers lose game seven on my Patreon, I will continue breaking down a playoff game per day. So the previous day's playoff game, I will do a video breakdown of that and put that up the following day before the next day's playoff game. So even if the Clippers get eliminated, I'll still be doing stuff. So if you follow me on there, you're not going to be devoid of stuff. I feel like there I said go. stuff a lot. There you go. I mean, no, I think it was fine. Hopefully the Clippers Plus it's do late. some stuff. It's late. We're all waiting to go to sleep and also anxious for the game tomorrow. So it's fine. I, I forgive you. Um, if you guys like the podcast, uh, please subscribe wherever you guys get your podcast, whether it's Apple, Google Play, uh, iHeart, Spotify, uh, any other podcast, um, you know, app or provider that I'm, that I'm forgetting, subscribe there for us. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please also leave a five-star review um in the review section we really appreciate those give us five stars um and let us know what we can what we can fix what you like what you like what you didn't like uh comments questions suggestions concerns all welcome very much welcome um yeah you can follow me at tomer zarly that's t-o-m-e-r-a-z-a-r-l-y on twitter and instagram um and facebook i guess and then um yeah, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. We will catch you guys next. Uh, I don't know when the next episode will be. I guess we'll do one after after Game Seven to preview the Western Conference Finals, whether it's the Lakers, Clippers, or Lakers Nuggets. But uh, 
yeah, we'll chat again this week and um, go from there. But, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Clipper fans, don't put too much into Game 7 tomorrow. Uh, don't, don't, don't put your relationships on the line. Don't put your own <laughs> personal health at stake. I've talked to a couple of people who have said that um, after the Game 6 loss, they, they got, you know, a girlfriend reached out to them or they just, uh, you know, they had some, 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 some issues, I guess. Right I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them some advice. Do not bet on game seven. Oh yeah. No, do not place money on game seven. I don't care who you are. Don't, don't. do not. Yeah. But, if yeah, you but, are a Clipper fan, do not. <laughs> I would say more importantly is that don't let it affect your personal life because it's just a game. It's just sports at the end of the day. And don't let a loved one do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Please don't. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Justin, thanks again for joining me. We will catch you guys uh, next episode. See you guys.